Welcome to another edition of Around with Randall, your weekly 10 to 12 minute podcast on making your nonprofit more effective for your community. And here is your host, the CEO and founder of Hallett Philanthropy, Randall Hallett. Thanks again for joining me this week. I want to spend just a few minutes talking about where I think the future is going to lie when it comes to prospect management and in particular about the idea of screening. Since the invention of the internet, organizations and nonprofits have become incredibly dependent, and in some cases I might argue almost addicted to the idea of wealth screening. And every year in my 25 plus year career, I see more and more conversation, particularly in those that are maybe a little less experienced, to rely on those well-screening scores or information to be a determining factor in how or why a gift officer organization sets its priorities regarding prospects, which leads to the idea of prospect management. Over the last couple of years, uh, probably for the last decade in the for-profit world, we've seen the idea of looking at prospects or same thing in the for-profit world, potential sales opportunities differently. And that's now beginning to finally matriculate into the nonprofit world. I, I like to think about it this way. It's not that we shouldn't well screen. We should. It's a, a good data point to better understand exactly what's going on. But I think there's something that we've lost in this entire equation. What we know traditionally, particularly those of us with enough gray hair and before we actually had the kind of internet we do today in terms of research, we relied, in at least in early parts of my career, on 80% of the equation being connection, about inclination. Really, the word that I want to use is likelihood. Which people are most likely? to be connected to our organization. And then the relationship piece built out an equation for each one of those individuals to find out if that was actually true. And what I see today is gift officers many times saying, well, these people don't well screen high enough and thus I I really shouldn't bother to uh, build a relationship or make that phone call or cultivate them. I was at a uh, doing a major training at a major academic medical center. Actually, I was doing the training for the entire advancement uh, unit division for the entire university. And I asked the question, which was more important, inclination or capacity? And most of the room said capacity. And I said, give me two minutes and we'll ask the question again. And I did what I'm going to do here in a second. And I had one or two people who said, yeah, still capacity. If they're not rich enough, I don't care. So. Where is all this headed? The last couple of years, we have seen more and more conversation about looking at using some type of, I'll call it in a broad term, artificial intelligence. It's really some kind of analytics to better understand who are the most likely, the most connected prospects instead of just using wealth. Now, the inputs for this can be various. 
they can be, uh, from a healthcare perspective, HIPAA compliant data. From an education perspective, it can be uh, FERPA, uh, the, their privacy in the education world. Uh, HIPAA is the privacy for healthcare, but FERPA compliant data about when they were a student. It can be the related donor information. It's just not about what's publicly out there in terms of wealth. And that data goes into a central place and math and the idea of artificial intelligence is defined, at least in my world, as continually learning. That constantly you're putting more and more data in and the algorithm, the math, is constantly churning all of that data that you're putting in there, thousands and thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of pieces of information. And it's learning about what is the most likely combination weighting of those particular data points to get output, which is a listing of people who are most likely. So there's a ton of data coming in, more than the human brain can figure out. The computer learning piece, the analytics figures it out and then spits out names. And instead of rating it by wealth, it rates it by likelihood. And it can be done a lot of different ways. So likelihood could be like a correlation, one to zero, with one being the most likely, zero being none. It could be 100% is there likely and zero could be none. But at the end of the day, it's pushing out a listing uh, and then allowing you to look at who's the most likely. Here is where I'm headed. I think still to my initial training in this industry and the 25 years since hasn't changed that, that likelihood is 80% of the equation on identifying the best major gift candidates. And then frankly, it's probably 80% of identifying the people you should be building an annual giving program for as well. And then 20% is wealth. So what does that look like? Well, on a podcast, it's kind of hard. I do a presentation and talk about this in a lot more detail, kind of shows some thought process of how this works. But if, if you have 12 people that you're looking at and you well screen them and you put them in order from A to L, 12 letters, and you rate them A is the most wealthy by rating L is the least. And then you do the same thing with those same 12 people, A to L, and you put a likelihood score on them. And what happens if your top two or three people's likelihood is 5%, but the next four are 80%? And they all well screen above a certain dollar figure, your major gift level, like $10,000 or more in terms of opportunity. I would argue that you should be spending a majority, if not close to all of your time, on making sure you get to the ones that were the 80% or more because they're going to be the ones that come to fruition. The concept of wealth might tell us how much people will give. Likelihood tells us who will give. In five years, my prediction is that this kind of thought process will be the standard in the industry, education, healthcare, arts and science, culture, whatever that they're going to that our we're going to learn from the for-profit world that has figured this out over a decade and that this becomes the norm and i think about a, a great company like donor search who i have a great deal of respect for the owners 
the Tedesco family is they're moving into this. Uh, you know, they they have this repository of amazing data. They're really beginning to push the envelope. Like, hey, wait a minute, we need to look at this differently. So I mentioned the major gift. You know, kind of this rating of A through L on wealth, and then if you were to do it by likelihood and you know the top two or three are like 5%, you want to kind of begin to move down to the ones that are more likely as long as they're above a major gift threshold. This also applies to the annual giving process. I don't want to forget that because we see mail returns of 1% and 2%. And yet, if we were to kind of do the same analysis, so let's use that same analogy or, or example, that A through L. Well, if the bottom three people, prospects J, K, and L, are gift thresholds of 5,000, 1,000, and 500, just for the sake of argument. They're not at a major gift level, but their likelihoods are all above 70%. Well, that would tell you who you should be reaching out to from an annual giving perspective, whether that's if you have enough staff, an intermediate giving level for that $5,000 making a phone call, or a mailing program for those that are below, let's say, $1,000. If you're an annual giving person, think about the dynamics of changing your return rate is if you could use likelihood and rate people and then not mail to those that are below a certain certain threshold. So you remove the major gift level first that are above a certain likelihood and above a certain wealth screening, 80% likelihood, 20% wealth. And then you're left with everyone else. And anybody, let's say, that's below $10,000 but has a likelihood of above 70%, you mail to those and you don't even mail to the others. We're going to have to learn to trust something that we probably don't understand entirely. And that's the math, the the ingenuity that comes from utilizing analytics or artificial intelligence. It's foreign to us. We're, we're, we're kind of afraid of the new because it can redefine how you look at prospect management. So what's the tactical piece? Because I never want to forget that. The first thing is inform yourself. Inform yourself to know that you probably need to know more about analytics and artificial intelligence. Do some reading. Number two, be open to it. Be open to conversations internally about is there a better way for us to identify prospects? Thirdly, listen to some of these experts, I think about the donor search team, when they do these webinars, get some outside perspective. If you do those three things now, you will be prepared when this becomes a reality, probably in 2021 for a lot of people. By 2023 and 24, it will be predominant. And by 2025 and six, if you're not doing it, you're gonna be way, way, way behind the curve. This is new, it's a challenge, but I'm telling everyone who's willing to listen, this is the way the future looks. The the for-profit world has figured this out. The big companies do this to figure out who their best customers are, and we should follow because it's gonna give us a better chance to serve our nonprofits. Just a couple quick reminders. Don't forget, there's two two new blogs a week or so on the website. Hope uh, they're helpful. About 300 words should take you about 90 seconds each. Just about professional life. And then regarding this podcast, if you disagree with me, send me an email at reeks, R-E-E-K-S, at howlatphilanthropy.com. Or if you have a suggestion for a show or a content, 
want to ask a question, that's podcast at howlitphilanthropy.com. Hey, just my normal everyday reminder, this is a great profession. And if you're doing this kind of work, you are doing something that's calling you to make yourself, your organization, and your community a better place. And I find such great joy as we head into the holiday season, joy in doing what I do every day. Because I know that nonprofits are serving a need that the community has a hole in. And we need these kinds of nonprofits, your nonprofit, to be more effective to take care of those that are the underrepresented and not heard. Don't forget my, my favorite saying of all time. Some people make things happen. Some people watch things happen. And then there are those who wondered what happened. Life is full of, of, of all these series of moments. And we fall into one of these categories every second we're breathing. And for most of us, we're people who make things happen. We desire to make the world a better place, our organization, our community, our family, and everybody else. People who make things happen. And generally, they're doing it for people who are wondering what happened. That's the joy of nonprofit work. I appreciate you, appreciate your time. Hope that you find this helpful. Kind of a futuristic look, looking down the road. But I hope you had a great uh, 14 minutes with me. I certainly did with you. I will see you next time here on Around with Randall. And don't forget, make it a great day. 